Well, hey, Northridge, my name is Pete. I'm one of the uh, pastors here, and uh, we're so honored that you've joined us on this uh, incredible 4th of July weekend. Uh, We're excited. Maybe you're at the lake watching this with your family right now, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook or on the Northridge site. We're uh, we're really honored you're there. Uh, I know our pastors are online right now in the chat. We, you know, that's where I've spent most of the uh, past three, four months. Uh, I've been exactly where you are in the chat. And uh, I know it means the world to our pastors when uh, you get in there and you just talk about what God's doing in your life. It, it, we love that. So uh, thank you to our pastors for being there. Thank you guys for being there and participating in that. Uh, it's a big weekend, 4th of July weekend. We're celebrating uh, our freedom, our independence as a country. Um, but you know what? This year, it feels a little different, doesn't it? For, for a multitude of reasons. But let me tell you about one of the things that's been going on in my heart this weekend. Um, in the midst of celebrating our freedom, I think we've all been reminded anew lately that not everybody in our country gets to enjoy the same levels of freedom. I think we've been reminded um, that we still have work to do as a country. And so I hope in the midst of your family get-togethers, I hope in the midst of shooting off fireworks and celebrating what I actually do believe is a great nation, I hope that you'll stop to remember that we still have work to do. And one of the most incredible things that I love about this country is that it never stops fighting itself to become a better version of itself. And we have these ideals like democracy and rights and liberty and opportunity and equality. And we're not going to stop until everybody gets to enjoy those ideals and those values. And I believe the church is a big part of that. Pastor Brad in this season has been pointing us back to Jesus over and over again because Jesus not only believed, but he modeled for us in word and deed that people matter, that all people matter. And we got a lot of work to do so that everybody enjoys the same freedoms and liberties in this country. Uh, But I believe the church is going to be a big part of that. I believe Northridge is going to be a big part of that. And so I hope that you'll continue to pray about, think about, be convicted by what your part is and how you help bring that about in our country. You know, um, it's it's an interesting time for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, we're starting this new series today called The Anatomy of a Dream. And probably for some of you, you're like, it's hard to even think about dreaming about your future when you're just trying to focus on keeping your head above water, right? You're just focused on survival. 2020 has just been the craziest year ever. And it's kind of gotten to the point where we make a lot of jokes about 2020. Like, you know, this is the worst year that we've ever experienced. And I don't know about you guys, but anytime like something goes wrong in my life, I just blame it on 2020. If I get a flat tire, I'm like, well, of course I got a flat tire. It's 2020. You know, if I'm outside and it starts to rain, it's like, of course it's pouring on me right now. It's 2020. And it's real easy to kind of get in this mental space of this year is just a complete disaster. But what if, what if 2020 is actually the year that you've been waiting for? What if it's a year that is so painful and so uncomfortable and so unpredictable and so raw that it forces you to grow. You know, part of growth for all of us is pursuing the purpose and the dreams that God puts on our heart. I think more than even achieving dreams, the process of pursuing dreams forms us and shapes us in so many different ways. 
And that's what I want to kind of talk about throughout this series. There's a very common pattern. I'll share the pattern with you in a few minutes that you see all the way throughout Scripture. I'm going to use in this series the story of David. But to be honest with you, I could have used a dozen other biblical characters to show you this pattern that God uses in people's life as they begin to discover their God-given purpose and the God-given dreams that he's put on their heart. And we're going to use David because I, I, I love the story of David. David's story is raw. Uh, David is so human. His highs are really high and his lows are really low. And when this guy failed, he failed in some spectacular ways. And I think you're going to be able to identify with this pattern that you see throughout his life. And I want to start in the very beginning. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16. And long before David is this you know, greatest leader in the history of Israel, David is really a whole lot of nothing special. So let's begin. 1 Samuel 16. It says this, the Lord said to Samuel, and Samuel's the prophet, right? The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Now, I'll pause for just a second to tell you a little bit about uh, King Saul, first king of Israel. Um, we're told that by earthly standards, he's like the ultimate king, all right? By earthly standard, like he, he looks more like a linebacker than he does a king. We're told in scripture that he stood a head taller than anyone else in the land, kind of like me. And um, he is uh, strong. He's a fierce warrior. Again, by all appearances, like Saul is the man. So we keep reading these instructions that God is giving the prophet Samuel. He says, um, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So essentially what God is saying to the prophet Samuel is we're going to have a new king and you're going to anoint the new king and I want you to go and you're going to meet with Jesse. Jesse has a bunch of sons. I'm not going to tell you which son's going to be the king. I just want you to go. I want you to meet with them. And when the time is right, I'm going to indicate. You'll know. I'm going to give you a sign and I'm going to show you which son you're to anoint as the next king. So Samuel reluctantly is obedient to God, and he kind of goes on this journey towards Bethlehem. And it's hazardous, right? Because it's a hazardous to anoint a new king when they already have a king, but he's going to follow through with this. And just like God asked, Samuel meets with Jesse. And Jesse starts bringing his sons out. Samuel starts talking to all these boys. And then God says this to Samuel, verse 7. He says, The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel keeps seeing these different sons, and I'm sure the, the oldest one went first. And Samuel's like, God, this has to be the one, right? I mean, this guy, he looks smart. He's, you know, a good-looking guy. He's the oldest. He has the most wisdom. Surely this is the one that you want to anoint. God's like, no, not him. Don't pay attention to the things that other people look. So the, the whole procession kind of comes to a halt. And Samuel's like, you know, I've interviewed all these boys. He's like, Jesse, do, do you have any other sons? And that's where we pick up the story in verse 11. It says, he asked Jesse, are, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. 
Samuel said, well, send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Um, the Hebrew word here for uh, youngest son implies a lot more than just age. Right? This is a spectacular moment, not just because David is the youngest. The Hebrew word here is actually speaking to his rank. He's the youngest brother, but he's also thought of as the least of these. His job, sheep watching, it's really more of a rank than it is a job, right? It's, it's again, he is the least of these. He's kind of the nobody of the bunch. And that's where the story begins. This is where we find David in the pasture with the flock. Jesse, his own dad, doesn't think he matters. Jesse's like, well, I, I'm not even gonna bring him to this meeting. Like, it's, it's not as if they would ever select, you know, David. Like, the older brothers were much more qualified. They're much more capable. And so David's completely overlooked. And I gotta believe that some of you, you know the pain of being overlooked. You know the pain of not being seen by a person or maybe even a group of people that you wish desperately would see you. You wish desperately that they could see you for who you are, that they could notice your gifts and your abilities. You wish that they could see your beauty. They, you wish that they could see you and believe that you really mattered. Some of you know what it feels like to be completely overlooked. Some of you know what it feels like to miss out on opportunities because of the color of your skin. Some of you know what it feels like to be overlooked because um, everyone considers you too old or maybe they consider you too young. Some of you know the pain of being overlooked because you don't have the right experience or you don't have the right education. You know what it feels like to be unseen. And that's a painful desperate place to be, isn't it? To feel like you don't have a voice, to feel like you don't matter. And if you feel unseen right now in your life, I want you to know, I think this story has a whole lot of encouragement in it for you because scripture is gonna dedicate 66 chapters to the story of David. Even though this is an Old Testament story, the New Testament is gonna mention David 59 times. He will establish and inhabit the world's most famous city, Jerusalem. One day, the Son of God will be called the Son of David. We'll call him warrior. We'll call him king. We'll call him giant killer. But on this day, his own dad doesn't even see any potential in him. This day, he is unseen to the world. On this day, nobody thinks that this kid matters. And what this reminds me is that God is into the unexpected. And that's good news, isn't it? Especially for those of you that feel unseen. Especially for those of you who don't feel like you're qualified. God is into the unexpected. And nobody saw this coming. Nobody predicted this. Nobody would have bet on David. Nobody thought this would play out in the way that it did. Everything that could be wrong with David was wrong with David, except for God chose him. God chose him to be used in this situation. 
And here's where we begin to see that pattern that I was telling you about. The pattern that happens in David's life, it happens in almost every single major character throughout Scripture, and I've seen it happen in dozens and dozens of people's lives all around me. There's a pattern. When you're trying to discover God's purpose for your life, when you're trying to discover God's dream for your life, there's typically four phases that you're going to go through. And we're going to talk about each one of these phases throughout this series. Today, we're going to talk about phase one, which is become aware. And that's where some of you are, or maybe you're at least trying to become aware of God's purpose for your life, God's dream for your life. Um, So there's phase one, you become aware, you're trying to discover, figure out this. Then there's phase two, which is encounter opposition. It's about to happen in David's life. We'll look at that next week. Uh, It's going to happen in your life eventually. Once you begin to figure out God's purpose or God's dream for your life, you're going to phase two. It's encounter opposition. Then you have endure difficulties. That's phase three. And then that fourth phase is learning surrender. And you see this pattern over and over and over again. Now, in this particular case, in this particular story with David, this phase one, this becoming aware, it's, it's almost as if this dream just gets dropped in his lap, right? All of a sudden, this purpose is just there. And that happens sometimes. Like, I, I, I've known people who could point to, like, one particular conversation where their entire future, like, just became very clear. I've known people who had one spiritual experience where all of a sudden, like, it just became crystal clear God's purpose and God's dream for their life. But I think for the vast majority of us, it doesn't happen in that way. I think for the vast majority of us, it doesn't just drop in our lap. It's a process. Sometimes it's a process that takes years or even decades before we really understand God's purpose and God's plan for our life. Sometimes it's a series of conversations. Sometimes it's years of studying God's word. Um, sometimes it happens through a crisis that you go through in your life. It can happen and look very different from person to person, situation to situation. What I feel very confident about, though, is this. God is not intentionally trying to hide his dream and his purpose from you. In other words, he's not toying with you. He's not playing a game here. But I understand that this process can be frustrating for a lot of people. I was meeting with somebody this week, in fact, and we were talking about this whole concept of God's purpose and God's plan and God's dream for your life. And they were very honest with me. They just said, I have no idea what it is, Pete. I have no idea. Like I just get up, I go to work, I come home, I do the same thing day after day after day. And I don't know. And it it was, it's almost as if they were driving them mad uh, trying to figure out what it was. And so I wanna give you just a couple very practical tips, a couple things that you could do if you find yourself in that situation. And, And this probably won't solve everything. Again, it's not gonna get dropped in your lap but this might help kind of begin the process for you. So if you're trying to figure out God's purpose, his dream for your life, here's a couple practical things. You could jot these down if you want. First thing I would tell you to do is interview two or three people who know you really well, two or three people that you really respect. Sit down with them over a cup of coffee and just ask them, point blank, just say, hey, why do you think God's put me here on this earth? Just get their perspective. Like often, sometimes people can see some things in you that you can't see in yourself. Um, I know there have been seasons in my life where I couldn't believe in myself, but I needed somebody else. I needed to lean into their belief that they had in me. I needed to borrow that belief and that faith that they had in me. So maybe you need that. Sit down, interview a few people and ask them that. Uh, Another question that I think might get some things going for you is, 
if you suddenly could get all the money that you needed, right? All the money that you ever wanted, what would you do with your life? And I know your initial thought is, oh, I know what I'd do. I'd move to the beach and, you know, drink little drinks with umbrellas in it all day long. And you may think that's what you would do if you didn't have to worry about money, but the beach probably just represents the end of your stress. It doesn't really answer the questions of fulfillment and longings once the stress disappears, right? We're talking about longing here. We're talking about fulfillment, the things that God's put on your heart. The third thing I would say is start paying attention to your life. Start asking yourself some questions. Maybe you need to journal some things. Ask yourself questions like, what have I always been good at? Um, what needs do I care about in this world? Like, what are the things that when you hear about them or you see them on the news or you see it displayed in your life, it just burns you. Some people call it a holy discontent. But, but you see some things in the world that you're like, that's just not right. And you get very passionate about those things. Ask questions like, um, who do I admire the most? Or uh, what makes me feel most fulfilled? Again, again, these are just things that kind of get that process going. And what I want to encourage you in is don't put too much pressure on yourself because I think we, we live the vast majority of our life in the process of trying to discover that purpose and that dream that God has for us. And so I'm, I kind of want to encourage you a little bit today and just say, hey, if you find yourself in a place where either you don't know God's purpose and dream for your life or you know what it is, but you just feel incapable in this moment of getting there, of executing on that. Life seems to be kind of holding you back and things aren't falling into place in the way you thought they were gonna fall into place. Um, what do you do in that season when you're kind of waiting to live out that purpose or that dream? There's three things from this story that really encourage me. And the first one is this, work diligently at what he's given you today, All right? Work diligently at what he's given you today. I think it's interesting in this story, um, Samuel the prophet anoints David as the next king. What is the first thing that David does? Does he like run off to the crown store to start trying on crowns, trying to figure out which one's gonna fit best? Does he run to the palace, start knocking on the door, you know, to tell Saul he's fired and that he's the new king? No, he didn't do any of that. In fact, if you look at the story from scripture, there's no indication that he ever even mentions this event. You know what David does after he's anointed? He goes back to the pasture. He goes back to doing exactly what he was doing before, and that is watching sheep. So my encouragement to you is this. Um, don't try to be like David who becomes a hero and kills Goliath, right? Don't try to be like the David who killed Goliath. Be like David who watched sheep. Be like David who just did the next right thing. See, I know a lot of people who like desperately want to have some kind of David and Goliath sized miracle in their life, but they're never gonna see a David and Goliath sized miracle in their life because they think that they're too good to watch sheep. Just do the next right thing that God's calling you to do. Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever your hand finds for you to do, do it with all of your might. Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The key phrase there is whatever you do. 
See, this verse, it, it busts wide open this myth. And I know I've talked to you guys about this before, but I, I think this is so important that we understand and get this. There's this myth that in life, you have like sacred stuff over here and you have secular stuff over here. And we think there's this invisible wall there. And the sacred stuff is like the stuff that like really matters to God. And these are the people that God's going to use for like spiritual things, holy things. He's going to use these people to change the world. These are your Davids. This is Moses. You know, this is John the Baptist. Then over here, you have the secular. And this is where the vast majority of people live. And they just have regular jobs and regular lives. And, you know, God loves them. But what they do day to day isn't really going to change the direction of the world. And this invisible wall between the sacred and the secular, I believe, has done a tremendous amount of damage, right? It's all sacred, right? It's all God's. And, and this idea that like there's some people who matter and some people who don't and some jobs that matter and some that I, I just don't see that ever evident anywhere in scripture. The key is not what you do. It's how you do what you do. So you don't get a larger slice of the pie for being a pastor over being an accountant. So we're like, wait, so you're telling me, Pete, that God could be just as happy with me crunching numbers for a living as he is a pastor who's preaching God's word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, you, you don't get more points for being a worship leader over owning a salon. You don't get more points for being an evangelist over owning an art gallery. All right, again, it's not what you do, it's how you do what you do. Do whatever God's put on your heart, use whatever skill set he's given you, but do it in such a way that you give God the glory. Do it in such a way that people look at you and are like, wow, there's something different about them. There's something different about their work ethic. There's something different about the way they care about the people that they serve. And see, I think that this is a very freeing principle because what it means is you don't have a second class calling. What it means is you don't have a second class dream or second class purpose for your life. Just do whatever God's called you to do. Do it diligently. Do it in such a way that you give God glory through your life. The second thing that I would encourage you with is um, to relax because God's actually working behind the scenes. Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, I love that in this story, David has no clue what God and Samuel are orchestrating. He has no clue that God and Samuel have been talking about him in advance. He has no clue that's going on. David has no clue that all those long days that he's out in the pasture privately leading sheep, that God is behind the scenes preparing him to publicly lead people. David had no clue that when God kind of creates these instances and these moments where David would battle against the lion and David would battle against the bear, that God behind the scenes is preparing him to battle against Goliath one day. David has no clue that God 
behind the scenes is preparing him as he learns to play the harp and he sings and he writes these psalms so that one day he could walk into the palace and play and sing for King Saul. He has no clue that God behind the scenes is at work. And I just believe that God has some extremely exciting things planned for you in your life. And I don't know when they're gonna happen. I don't know if this is next week, next month, five years down the road, I have no clue. What I do know is this, God behind the scenes is at work in your life. And I know it's real easy to take seasons like the season that we've been in the past four months or so. And it's easy to look at that and just think, man, this four months has been a waste. What a like unbelievable, like inconvenience for all of us. And it has been an inconvenience to say the least. But what if God behind the scenes is actually using this time to prepare you for something he has for you in the future? What if God behind the scenes is using all of these inconvenient moments, all of these difficult moments, all of these difficult conversations, all these uncomfortable, what if God is using all of this stuff to form you and shape you and prepare you for things in your future that you're not even aware of yet? So I know it's easy to get frustrated. I know it's easy to get impatient, but relax. God is at work behind the scenes. And then the third thing I would say is I want you to know that you are qualified. You're qualified. Um, you're not perfect. In fact, I'm far from perfect. We're all far from perfect. But God has always used imperfect people to do his perfect will. God's always used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And no matter how many times that you've been told otherwise, you are qualified. You're qualified. No matter the color of your skin, you are qualified. No matter your age, you're qualified. No matter your educational background, you are qualified. No matter your past failures, you're qualified. I love that Pastor Brad's always reminding us failure is not final. Why? Because you're qualified. And maybe, maybe like David, the people closest to you just can't see the potential. The people closest to you have told you that you won't matter to anything. You're never gonna change anything. Maybe somewhere along the way in your life, a seed has been dropped into your spirit that God can never use you because you did this or you didn't do this. Someone told you that you wouldn't matter, that you wouldn't change anything. Listen, criticism usually is just a very cowardly form of self-praise. What you need to know is whatever he's called you to, he will equip you for. Whatever he's called you to, he will equip you for. And I know that some of you have been through some really difficult things and some of you think that you've totally blown up God's plan for your life. But I want you to know, my friend, you're not that powerful. You're not. You haven't blown up God's plan for your life. In fact, some of you have probably intentionally tried to blow up God's plan for your life because you feel like you just couldn't handle it. We're not that powerful. Listen, you are qualified and you have permission to believe that God can use you. You have permission to believe that God can use you in unbelievable ways. You have permission to believe that you can lead. You have permission to protest. You have permission to love. You have permission to dream. You have permission to believe 
that God's best for your life is still ahead. And we all have these moments. We all have these seasons where we feel like we are not qualified. We feel like we can't handle what God has put on our heart. We feel like we can't handle the purpose. We can't handle the dream. But you are qualified. Never forget, God, he's into the unexpected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for meeting us in this place. These are um, weird times, to say the least. And some of us probably feel more lost than ever before. Some of us feel like all we can do is just survive, keep our head barely above water. And yet, God, you sent Jesus so that we could have life and not just have life, but that we could have life to the full. And so for some of us, it's time to start thinking again about what is your purpose for our life? What is your dream for our life? It's time for us to start believing again that you could use us, that you will use us, that you do have a plan and you do have a purpose. And yeah, we may feel like we don't have the education or the skill set or we're not the right age, but God, you've always been into the unexpected. Right? You're a God that could take David, this shepherd boy, and then turn him into a great king, turn him into a great warrior. You're a God that can do the impossible. You're a God that is in to the unexpected. And so, Father God, I pray for every person that's trying to discover their purpose and their plan for their life. I pray, God, that they'll be reminded today to whatever it is you called them to do in this moment, to do it and to do it diligently. I pray that they'll be reminded today that yes, you God are working behind the scenes. And I pray that they'll be reminded today that they are qualified to be used by you. God, we are so grateful that you've met us in this place today. For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray, amen.